I'm not sure if you've noticed this yet, but some things mean something different in seminary than they do anywhere else in the world. You can say the same thing on this campus and mean something different than you might anywhere else that you have walked. For example, if you're anywhere but seminary and someone says to you, that'll preach, they mean, that's a great story. That's a great phrase. I like it. Two thumbs up. But if you're in seminary and you hear the phrase, that'll preach, it means, I'm going to preach about that. I call dibs on that story. It is mine. No one else can have it. I'm keeping detailed notes on everything you say because it will be before a congregation before the year is out. And in fact, since you've heard me say that'll preach, you just involuntarily sign some sort of verbal release form to the rights of your story so that I can tell it anywhere I like, no matter how embarrassing or slightly exaggerated I choose to tell it. (laughs) Preachers walk around thinking that'll preach all the time. Everything in life is a potential sermon illustration. We don't even say that'll preach to our families anymore. They just know. (laughs) They know not to do anything embarrassing in our presence because it will end up in a sermon someday. Never waste a story. Anything can be an illustration. That being said, some stories are just begging to be preached about. So a few years ago, I was on vacation with a good friend in Key West, Florida. We were taking a bike tour around the city, riding in the blazing sun, and so we needed to stop for a minute, collect ourselves, and rest. And when we did, we came upon a stone, a marker, and it said, today's the day. And I said to my friend, I I wonder what that means. And then we noticed this stone was in front of a museum. It said, the Mel Fisher Maritime Museum, right in front of that rock. So we went in, parked our bikes, and learned the story. Mel Fisher was a man who grew up in landlocked Indiana. He was a chicken farmer. But inspired by reading Treasure Island as a kid and dreaming of adventure, he was a treasure hunter at heart. He moved his family to California and learned to scuba dive and opened the first dive shop in the entire state. He was inspired. (laughs) He bought some equipment, made a few dives around the area where supposed shipwrecks might be, and found nothing. But instead of giving up on this dream, he doubled down again and again and again. Eventually, he moved his entire family to Florida to pursue the dream of treasure hunting full time. Diving became a family business. He and his wife and their four sons and a daughter, they they all grew up there and eventually got involved in the family business, treasure hunting. And eventually, the Fishers narrowed their focus to look for just one historic shipwreck, the mysteriously vanished Spanish galleon ship called the Nuestra Señora de Atocha, or more simply just the Atocha. It sank in 1622 just off the shores of the Florida Keys, taking with it half a billion dollars in treasure. 
And Mel and his wife, their five children, now young adults, their spouses, they spent every penny they had searching for the Atocha. In order to get specialized equipment, they raised hundreds of thousands of dollars from investors. They even lived on a leaky houseboat, selling all they had in pursuit to get them one step closer to the treasure. And over the years, as other people's belief that the Atocha could ever be found, even with modern equipment, other people's belief waned. Mel's belief only grew. He was famously, relentlessly determined. And each day with his crew, he started the hunt with the same phrase. Do you know what he said to them? The day's the day. Eventually, he became the laughing stock of Key West. I mean, who searches for the same thing day after day without any evidence that you're closer to your goal? Outside of his family and his crew, maybe his investors, no one believed that Mel Fisher would ever find the Atocha. He, he faced an endless barrage of doubts and ridicules for his refusal to give up hope of finding that sunken ship. And finally, after thousands of dives, after six years of searching, tragedy struck. On July 20th, 1975, Mel's oldest son, Dirk, Dirk's wife, Angel, and a fellow diver were out on a dive hunting for the Atocha when their boat capsized, and all three of them perished. Mel even lost his firstborn son in his quest for treasure. Surely, people said, surely today this man will quit. He'll come to his senses. And you know what Mel said? Today's the day. And he got on a boat and went out again. Mel Fisher spent another 10 years searching, 16 years total, hundreds of thousands of dollars in his quest to unearth the Atocha's payload. For over 5,000 days, Mel Fisher believed that today was the day. Today's the day, he told people, for over 5,000 days, and finally one day he was right. Mel Fisher and his team discovered the wreck of the Atocha on July 20th, 1985, 10 years to the day after his son's ship went down in the same waters. This is a picture of Mel on the left holding up a bottle of champagne and one of his adult sons holding up a single gold bar lifted that day from the Atocha, and that gold bar by itself is worth half a million dollars. The wreck of the Atocha remains the second most valuable in all of history. An estimated $450 million in treasure recovered, known as the Atocha Mother Lode. 40 tons of gold and silver, jewels that no one had ever seen before, emeralds from a Colombian mine where the emeralds are so clear and so bright that they are literally the standard by which the emeralds in the rest of the world are judged. And immediately, the state of Florida and the United States federal government claimed it as theirs. <laughs> Mel fought his case all the way to the Supreme Court, where the end result, the decision was finders keepers. And so Mel got to keep most of his payload, or rather, what was left over once he paid all those investors. Do you know what he used the money for? 
to dive again. As large as what he discovered was, it was only roughly half of what was lost on the Atocha. The wealthiest part of the ship, the Stern Castle, has yet to be found today. So, friends, if ministry doesn't work out for you, <laughs> there's a spot in Key West, and maybe, just maybe, today's the day. We do have a Florida campus, if you would like to go part-time. <laughs> Some stories are just begging to be preached. Jesus told the story of treasure a completely different way. He put it like this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Jesus tells that whole story in one verse. I took ten minutes to tell you a story. Jesus took two sentences. Imagine if our seminary students could learn that kind of brevity, or our, our faculty for that matter. No offense. Peanut gallery here. In that one verse, we learn a treasure story that is far different from the one told of Mel Fisher. Instead of being searched for this treasure, is stumbled upon. It is accidentally found, possibly, possibly by a worker, a field hand hired to work in the field by the landowner. This treasure is unexpected. It's undeserved. You, you trip over it, only to find it's what you wanted all along. And the irony of finding it there makes you gasp. You were so close. You walked over it, maybe for years, without knowing it was there. And then suddenly, the extraordinary find of a lifetime glinting up at you through the dirt. So you quickly cover it up again. You look over your shoulder to make sure no one else has seen. And then you put your plan into motion. You go home and begin to take stock, to take inventory. Everything you've acquired, everything you've ever valued, is suddenly just a tool in your hands on the way to possessing the one thing you desire. You liquidate your assets, you sell your, all you have, your home, your transportation, the clothes in your closet, the shirt off your back. Everything has value only on the way to possess the treasure. There is no halfway for this treasure. You have to give it all. It is a once-in-a-lifetime chance, the ultimate value. Things that are worth a lot cost a lot. Things that are worth everything will cost you everything. So this is going to change everything. And you look at everything that you counted, and now you count it all as loss. It is rubbish. Everything you've held in your hands and so you hold a rubbish sale. And counting every penny as you hold your breath to be sure it's enough, you buy the farm. And then you start to dig. This one verse story would be such a succinct way of communicating if Jesus had just stopped there. But instead, Jesus turns around and he seems to tell the same story all over again. The same story, but this time with different main characters. Two verses this time. See how similar this sounds to you. Again, 
Jesus says, again indeed, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like. Again, Jesus? Didn't we just go over this? Is this some kind of sermon mad libs that you've invented? You know, once there was a noun who discovered a noun, who adverbally sold all his noun to go and purchase it. I mean, I guess this is what Jesus does because he does it in other places. He repeats stories with different characters for emphasis because maybe, just maybe, we're too dense to get it all the first time. You know, a shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go searching for just one. A woman who pockets the nine coins to go and sweep the house looking for just one. A father who has two sons but runs recklessly after the one that got away. And in every story, the same party at the end. But in this case, again, when Jesus repeats his story, there are a few different details. This merchant does not blindly stumble across a treasure. He is out looking for fine pearls. You might say he's a professional treasure hunter. He has a practiced method, a discerning eye. But for all the pearls that he's ever seen, all he's acquired in his collection, all he's sold to his customers, he's never seen anything like this one. This is the pearl of a lifetime. It's amazing to me that of all the gems of items of value that Jesus could have chosen to represent one single treasure, he chooses the pearl. In fact, I was so amazed by this, my curiosity got the best of me, that last weekend, as I was exploring this pearl situation, I made my kids watch all the YouTube videos that we could find about pearls and how they're formed. This is what you get when you have a mom who was a biology major turned preacher. I'm going to show you in a minute a little bit of my favorite because it cleared up a myth for me. A myth I had long believed about a pearl being formed inside an oyster only because a grain of sand got in. A pearl can actually be formed in response to any foreign body, any injury, any intrusion into the soft tissue, the mantle inside the body of an oyster. It can be the tiniest of intrusions. It it would be like a splinter under your skin, a speck of dust in your eye. For the oyster, it might be as simple as a broken piece of its own shell or some little strand of bacteria that happened to rub it the wrong way. The oyster can't let something irritate or scratch up its soft inside, so it forms a sac around it called a pearl sac. It begins to secrete this substance called nacre, actually the same substance that forms the inside of the pearl shell, the mother of pearl. Here it is laid down in layer upon layer on a pearl under an electron microscope. And sometimes, sometimes it lays down these layers for years until what you see is no longer an irritant but a beautiful gem, a pearl. And sometimes no human eye ever sees what it has done. 
You didn't know you were coming to chapel for a science lesson today, right? Only think about it. Think about it for a moment. Isn't it amazing? Something so beautiful can start out as an irritant, an injury, that the great prize of your life is something that may have started out as a painful intrusion, that in the economy of God, sometimes your wounds become your greatest gifts. That'll preach. Or in a more modern translation, in the esteemed words of our president, put that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) He's right there, isn't he? So this particular oyster, this one that Jesus is preaching about, has produced the greatest response to an irritant that anyone has ever seen. And our merchant, though he's seen a million pearls before, is still blown away by what he finds. So the ending of the story is the same as the first. He goes and joyfully sells everything he has. He liquidates his assets for the joy of possessing this one treasure. Again, Jesus says, again, there is no halfway for this kind of treasure. You have to give it all. It's a a once-in-a-lifetime chance. Again, things that are worth a lot cost a lot. Things that are worth everything are going to cost you everything. I don't have to tell you that. Here you are in seminary. Here you are in Wilmore, Kentucky. No one comes to Wilmore by accident. We're not on the way somewhere. We are the destination. Here you are in Wilmore, Kentucky, seeking a treasure that moth cannot eat and rust cannot touch that will never end up at the bottom of an ocean. In this year's incoming class of all the people that I've asked, so where are you from? I think maybe two have said to me, I'm from here. I grew up around here. The rest of you came from somewhere. You left something far away. You left jobs. You left homes. You left family. Some of you set aside a dream of a kind of life that you thought you might have. Some of you may have faced ridicule or rejection from friends and family when you announced what you would be giving up to follow the treasure. Or maybe just friends and family who didn't quite get it. I mean, being a Christian's fine and everything, but seminary? Let's not get too extreme here. Or maybe it wasn't the voices on the outside that you had to let go of to come here. Maybe, maybe it was your own voice. Your own voice of questioning, of, of disappointment, of disbelief that you, even you, could be called to this. You let go of something in order to take this step. And here you are, and you've surrendered it all to the search for the treasure, the pearl of great price. But let me ask you this, have you? Have you surrendered at all? Because to be honest, for most of us, when we get here, the letting go has only just started. For most of us, letting go of what's on the outside is just a first step. It's usually letting go of the unseen things that is going to take a little longer, like maybe a lifetime. A parable is a sneaky thing. 
Sometimes you're listening to it, that one little verse, just minding your own business. It's like a nice, predictable bedtime story. Safe. You know the ending. And then all of a sudden, Jesus will flip it on you. You just watch. The characters will change, and and who you thought you were in the story is not who you ended up being. Suddenly, suddenly you're the priest passing by an injured man on the side of the road. Suddenly you're the, the older brother pouting outside on the porch while the party goes on inside. So who are you here? Who are you in this story? The kingdom of God, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in a field. Well, that's an easy one, Jesus. The kingdom is a treasure. We find it. We sacrifice. We give all we have, and we get it. And life is good. Okay, says Jesus, again. Let's try this again. The kingdom of God is like a merchant. Wait a minute, Jesus. You said it was a treasure. You said it was something we seek after. A merchant, a merchant is someone who does the seeking. If the kingdom of God is the merchant doing the seeking in this story, then who am I? Oh, Jesus says, you didn't know? You didn't know. You, you are the pearl. Once there was a man who already owned a field. It was a garden, actually. A beautiful one. He had all the treasure he could ever want because it was where he could walk in the cool of the day with his children. The world was his oyster. And into that oyster of a world came an irritant, an injury, a splinter under the skin, a speck of dust in the eye, an injury that would change the shape of that garden forever, a broken piece where before there had been no brokenness. And that brokenness was us. Instead of just throwing us out, instead of treating us like trash, he made us treasure. He said, come closer. I will come and dwell among you. I will tent around you. I will begin to lay around you layer after layer of my own image, my own glory. In fact, I'm still shining you up today. I'm still smoothing off your rough edges, placing layer after layer of my own shine around your gritty, broken self so that the roughest parts of you will turn out to be the most beautiful so that your wounds will become your greatest gifts. Didn't you know that I paid the ultimate price for you, Jesus says, when I measured you, when I determined that you would be the pearl of greatest price? When was that? When did Jesus size you up and see what you were worth? What measure of a pearl were you? Was it after you said yes to your call to ministry? After you said yes to him, after you sacrificed, after you gave up all you had, what's your measure on this scale? Was it your size, your luster, your glory that made Jesus come after you? What have you done to deserve the price he paid? Did I wait, he says, did I wait until you already gave everything and were beautiful and shiny and appealing? 
Was it here when I offered myself for you? Was it here? Maybe here. No, Jesus says. No, while you, while you were just a grain of sand, when you were only an irritant, a broken piece of brokenness, I laid down my life for you. The rest of your value I added myself. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That proves his love for us. Did you think he would let you do all the seeking, all the giving, all the sacrificing in this story? Did you really think that was your job? He is, after all, the shepherd who goes after the one sheep, the woman who sweeps for the one coin, the father who, laying aside his own dignity, runs to meet the son who's done nothing to deserve it. That's his job. Did you not listen to the words of the song we sang Tuesday and we'll sing again and again and again? He left his father's throne above. So free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself, sold all he had. Emptied himself, even his firstborn son. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Did you think you were the only treasure hunter in this story? Did you think you just happened to stumble upon the kingdom when he's been leaving it in pieces just below the surface for you to find your whole life? Hoping and waiting that today was the day that you would notice and drop to your knees and drop all you possessed and begin to dig. Certainly, by all means, give all you have. It'll be a joyful experience. But don't think that the kingdom is dependent on your sacrifice. Because your sacrifice is just a response to his. Your seeking is only an answer to his own. Certainly, by all means, seek ye first the kingdom of God. But know when you do that the king of that kingdom has already sought and found you so that you would wake up one day and say to yourself, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to be found. And not just that first day, but every day after, so that you won't stop seeking and giving, and he won't stop laying down layer after layer of beauty, so that you could say it again, today and the next day and the next. Today. Today is the day of the Lord's favor. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'm going to invite our band to come, and I'm going to tell you just a little bit before we sing these last two songs together. I'm pretty sure that these two songs have never been sung together anywhere else on the face of the earth, that we are doing it for the first time today. This is risk-taking mission here. One old and one new, one about our seeking, and one about his reckless love. And I invite you to pray. Pray through our song. Pray where you are. Pray at this altar. Today's the day. Don't miss it. Let's sing to him together.